Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. I'm Siobhan, the young adult pastor. Yeah, um, we have been on a cool journey for the last few years and it just just keeps getting more real to me how much this ministry has impacted my life and I hope that you have that same testimony, but... um, for me, I think that with the climate that we've been in and everything that's been going on, I couldn't go forward without, you know, bragging on our community and saying, like, this is one of the most diverse communities I've ever been a part of. <laughs> We're doing something right. We're doing something kingdom. A little bit of heaven is up in here. We can definitely, uh, you know, have much more. But I'm just so happy to see brothers and sisters in Christ all connecting. So, like, it, it's befitting for me to talk about um, the taboo topic, right? I know people are like, oh, man. Are we going to have to have this conversation again? Actually, this is going to be the God conversation. We're going to talk about unity and being ministers of reconciliation. Because at this point, we see that society has a lot of questions, a lot of emotions, a lot of fears, but not a lot of answers. And while they're looking to policies and all these other things to change our world, we know that only the love of Christ can change anyone. So for us to be able to see an opportunity to lead the charge, to do something incredible, not for God, but with God, because he's given us all the ministry of reconciliation. And so a lot of people are doing some deep inner workings in their hearts, and they're challenging hearts and mindsets, right? For the first time, you're having to actually be self-reflective to go, wait a minute, is there anything in me that doesn't love like Jesus, doesn't think like Jesus, doesn't see people like Jesus, doesn't respond like Jesus? And now more than ever, the rest of the world is actually watching. And while for some people that may be daunting, I'm actually excited because the first time, for the first time in my generation and my living, have we ever been to a place where we actually get to be the ones that set the standard? While everything else is reshifting in our systems, in our government, even in our culture, we get a chance to actually say, we've already been on this. We already know what to do. We've already been practicing this and loving people, and it's already been something that God has equipped us for. So while everyone else is scrambling trying to figure out how to make it work, we're flourishing in the kingdom because we already have the heart of Christ. We already have the wisdom of Christ, and he's already told us what we can do about this. And and so while everyone else is looking for the answer, we're too busy, you know, encountering the answer, right? Living like the answer, loving like the answer because we know the answer is Christ. So there's a lot of us that we've had to ask ourselves, have we loved our neighbors well? A lot of us are having to communicate with our our family members and people having those uncomfortable conversations. A lot of us are having to ask ourselves, has our silence communicated indifference or fear? And if that's not the case, then, then what is keeping you from saying what you know is truth, you know? Or maybe some of us just don't know what to say or how to feel. Then others have been yelling so loud and wanting to be heard. But now we have a chance to use our words to build up, but we're tearing people down. I've seen all of this in our society, all of this in our culture, and all of this in the church. I'm wondering why we're beginning the process with the rest of the world, if I'm honest. It, it breaks my heart to figure out, think that, wow, we're starting at the same place as the rest of the nation. 
But God has already given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's already taught us what unity looks like. But maybe many of us are just now ready to address the elephant in the room. But what do we do with it? See, we can't just simply ask it to go away because now we're uncomfortable. We can't say, well, can you be a little quieter or can you not be so visible because I really don't want to deal with you. At this point, the world is laser focused on this issue of racial reconciliation. And we have to figure out what way can we lead others to move forward in something that we should already be living in right now. But how do we move forward to see the change in our own lives and in the future generations? I think one of the ways that we do that is we stop feeling the immense pressure to choose sides and say, I'm on the Lord's side. Because when you're on the Lord's side, everything that he's declared is what you live under. And you can just tell people if they have a problem with it, take it up with him. But if I'm trying to formulate my own opinion, my own plan, then somebody's going to come at me and they have every right to break down everything that I built up. But if God builds the house, if God builds the community, if God builds the family, then the gates of hell can't prevail against it, right? And so here we are, we're scrambling to try to figure out how to fix something that God has already been the answer for. And we just have to make sure that we're on the right side, which is the Lord's side. And you may not have known you weren't on the Lord's side because you just got justified in your experience or you got justified in the way that you think or the way that you, that you have uh, processed things. But what puts you on the Lord's side is when you lay down your thoughts, you lay down your perception, your perspective, and you ask God, what is he doing in this? You ask for his wisdom. You ask for his spirit to come in and let you know, how do I love my neighbor well? And who is my neighbor? He's made that very clear to us. And at the end of the day, that's the only side that you ever have to choose, the Lord's side. That's the way of grace. That's the way of love. That's the way of compassion. That's the way of, of establishing value the right way, not based on your experiences, not based on your hurt, but based on who God says that you are and who God says that others are, right? And so we're going to get into this and, and unpack it and break it down. It's been a while since I preached, so y'all forgive me if I'm crunk. <laughs> I realized that. I was like, oh, my God, I haven't done this in forever. Um, but, hey, it's like riding a bike. So doing nothing at this point is not an option for any of us. Although our decisions may be uncomfortable, they will be fruitful. Even those conversations that we're fearful to have, at the end of the day, they should be restorative and loving and forgiving, Right? Because we are the ones that lead the way to show the world the way love really works. And if they don't see it from us, they'll come up with their own ways. And let's just be honest, it's not doing too great. So if you know that doing nothing is not an option, do you know what your first option is? Seek the Lord. Get his wisdom and ask him, what role we play in being the change. We're not being the change just to feel safer in our world, right? And in our nation. We're being the change because God has called us well before the nation was paying attention. He's called us to be ministers of the gospel. He's called us to set the standard for the way that we respond to humanity in their brokenness. We get to be the ones who say, love is what really changes things. But we can't just say it in word and not model it in our lives. 
We can't just tell people that we come from a loving community until someone comes in that I've never had to love before. We, we can't say, I'm all about Jesus, but as long as they don't become a part of our community. When we can't share their experience, when we can't understand their culture, when we don't really understand if they like us, none of those reasons are acceptable to withhold love from someone. And so at the end of the day, the only way you can reconcile unity is first receiving the love of Christ and then loving as Christ. That's the only way. If you put a caveat or you make an exception for certain people because they're outside of your comfort zone or outside of your scope, then you have to revisit the love of God again because he's never put a cap on who's worthy of love. Not once. And I'm grateful for that because I know if there was a cap, I would have been outside of it. Me, a preacher, a minister of the gospel can tell you I would have been outside of that cap. I would have done enough wrong. I would have said enough wrong. I would have made enough mistakes. If there was a cap, I would have been out. But because the gospel says that we've all been brought into him, that's why I can love someone else. Because God first loved me in my brokenness, in my mess, in my shame, in my imperfections. So a lot of times we're looking at someone else's life from the outside, observing whether or not they're worthy of love. And really, you have to remember that you weren't either. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who loves with an everlasting love that is unconditional, on that is what you stand your life on, so that's how you love other people. And if we really get to the heart of the matter, we really understand there was never any other option but to love, because you were first loved. Amen. That was not in my notes. Praise God. We do this. We do this all the time. So why did I say that? Because I think we have to realize that regardless of the disunity in our nation and in our world, it's very clear that we, as the body of Christ, are to be unified. We don't have a plan B. This is it. And, and we have to figure out if Christ has unified us, then what could keep us from staying together? What could really keep us from the love of Christ? There's nothing that can separate us. Our race surely doesn't. Our socioeconomic status surely doesn't. Our experiences don't separate us. If anything, those things can bring us together even closer if we open our hearts. I was talking to uh, Miguel earlier uh, before the service started, and I was, I was telling him we were saying the same thing. Um, that the expression of God that we get to see in other cultures is something you don't want to miss out on. You don't want to wait till you get to heaven to see the expression of God in the image of someone who doesn't look like you. It is one of the most beautiful encounters to be able to see someone in their own language, their own tribe, their own nation worship the Lord. It does something to you to see different expressions. It, it points back to the creativity of God and how much he was really thinking about us all sharing experiences together. That we really miss out on the fullness of his love and the expression of his love when we limit ourselves to one experience or one people group. Because he's so much bigger than that. I would even bear to say that if you have not expressed that, you really haven't seen the full image of God. If you deny any culture or any race of people, then you haven't seen the full image of God because why? We were all made in him. So this is the mindset of the believer. 
This is the way that we see the world. This is the way that we see people, that humanity was placed in Christ, that every single one of us have the same value. And when we begin to see that, we begin to celebrate it instead of being afraid of it. A lot of people just fear what they don't understand, but they're too prideful to get to know that person. So we have to let our walls down. We have to let our guards down. We have to start renewing our minds. Maybe we were, you know, taught something in our younger years, you know, from our family members who weren't aware. Maybe we built this, you know, um, dissension in our hearts because we were misinformed. And, And we have to challenge that to say, now at this point, I'm responsible for knowing what God says as opposed to what someone's told me. That's for your whole life. Now you have a level of accountability to say, I know this is what I heard, but what did God say? No matter what issue it is in life, that needs to be your mindset. Because I promise you, you will find varying degrees of information, but only one truth. And that is in Christ. Amen. Again, I don't know what's going on, y'all. But the, the, the world has never set the standard for being unified. Christ set the standard for that. And Paul, we're going to get into this text, gives us insight on unity. And he doesn't talk about systems or laws. He talks about the heart and your character. Uh Uh-oh, somebody write that down. We're not talking about a system or a law being able to produce this. We're talking about a heart change that produces a character change that aligns you more with God. This is the way it begins. He doesn't say, get these people in a corner and have these chats and ask these questions and make sure you know everything before you start. Oh, wait. Google can't teach you how to love your neighbor. A book can't teach you how to love your neighbor. You have to let this be modeled through the love of Christ by the Spirit. And we're looking for resources, but we have these source. I ain't going to say no more. We're looking for other resources to help us do something that Christ has already provided in himself and empowered us to do. And what we have to do is go back to what God has said, and we'll find out that everything that we need, he's already provided. And he's already laid it out. So in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, this is one of two passages that we'll look at um, in regards to unity. The, you know, subtitle of the section of this is actually Unity of the Spirit. So keep that in mind as we're going through this. So in um, Ephesians 4, if you're there, verse 1 through 3. Oh, y'all got it on the screen. Yes. All right. So I'm in the NLT because I like it. It's more like a, it's a, a translation that helps you understand the heart of something. It's not a word-for-word translation, but you can understand it a lot better in context. So, therefore, I, this is Paul speaking, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So that's verse one. And I wrestled a lot with the beginning of this passage, not knowing what the word worthy meant. Um, This word worthy actually means um, suitable or appropriate for the purpose or the situation. Why is that important? Because if you think Paul is talking about something that you work to get to, you'll miss the point. If you think that Paul is saying when you feel like you're adequate enough, you'll miss the point. He's not urging you to get somewhere. He's urging you to know where you've already been placed. He's not urging you to measure up to a standard. He's showing that by in Christ, you've already begun to be the standard. 
He's telling you, I urge you to live like God intended you to live, that he already provided for you to live because you don't want to live less than that. He's saying, I urge you to act like you know you're a child of God and live like you know you're a child of God because you've been worthy by Christ. That is what he's saying. He's saying, I strongly encourage you to take full advantage of the life that Christ has provided for you. I really hope you know the value that Christ sees in you because when you get the value that he sees in you, you will start to live like this. See, he tells you who you are and where you are before he tells you what to do. That's very important. If you don't know who you are and where you are, you will not know what to do. So he is urging us to look at our position. He's urging us that in, in light of salvation, this is what we have. Because of Christ, this is what we possess. This is what we have access to. And I dare you not live anywhere lower than that. Because Christ made you worthy of this. So you'll never look at that passage the same again. Because sometimes you just got to get in the text. I'm like, wait, worthy? What does that even mean? Like, I was like, no, we're already, but what? But when you look up the definition, and I'll say it again, make sure that you're walking in a life that's suitable or appropriate for the purpose or situation that God has you in. Now that's real. When you actually look at the definition of that word, and you're like, wow, he's not telling me to live up to this reality. He's telling me to get a hold of this reality. Because when you get a hold of this reality, this is what you become. Jesus, I'm getting hot up in here. So Paul, again, is saying we should live from a place that matches the value that we have in Christ. Somebody write that down. This is your starting point that you have value in Christ. Your starting point is that he has given you access to a great life, an abundant life, a life that you don't want to live less than because he's provided you so much more. We are sons and daughters. We can live the life that reflects God's best intentions for us. And Paul does not want us to sell ourselves short of living the life that God always intended for us. And then he tells us what that life looks like and what the character of our lives will produce when we understand what we have in Christ. Verse 2 says, with all humility. Now, now, Paul just laid it out that we're worthy of incredible things, that Christ has afforded us this beautiful life. But then he says, what's the first thing you do with it is that you walk in humility. This is how you know that you figured out what you have and who you are and how much Christ values you when your response is humility. And that word sometimes gets misconstrued also. This doesn't mean thinking of yourself as less than. It actually means not esteeming yourself as more valuable than someone else. Humility allows you to equal the playing field and realize that we're all level at the cross. Humility says... The value that you have from God is the same as mine. If people really believe just this one thing, we wouldn't be having the racial division that we have. If we were walking in humility, we would treat others the way we wanted to be treated because we saw our value as equal. 
and why this country has been ripped apart is because we thought there was tears to humanity. We thought we can place someone of this status at a higher value than someone else. And God says, in my economy, there's no such thing. In the kingdom of God, all humanity has equal value. If we live like that, things would change. But that is the first step for us as a body of Christ to begin unifying, is knowing that we all have the same value, period. No exception. We are all children of God, and we all possess the exact same value, period. The next thing says with all humility and then gentleness. Are y'all seeing a trend here? Because, you know, if you think you're somebody, the first thing you're not going to be doing is being humble and being gentle, right? We're seeing a huge paradox of the kingdom that actually when you know your value, you don't have to move on somebody else and make them seem like they're less than you. Because when you know your worth, you can actually love people better and see that there's more to them than what they're even showing you in their actions and in their experiences. It puts you at a higher plane of loving when you know what your value is. And so gentleness is the next thing. If we all have the same level of value, then that means I should be able to approach you in gentleness. But let me tell you what that word means. It means genuine concern for people's need for love, acceptance, and respect. So this word means I created all of you in equal value, but now I realize that all of us need to be loved, accepted, and respected. And my posture needs to keep that in mind with all of my interactions with you, the way that I support you, the way that I relate to you. Meaning no one wants to be ostracized. No one wants to be left out. No one wants to be disenfranchised and kept from the same liberties as someone else. That's just not the way of Christ. And it's very clear that we, if we want to be unified, have to have a concern for those who don't have acceptance. We need to be concerned for those who don't experience love. We need to be concerned for those people who haven't been respected. And what they did is not justifiable for this action. This is not conditional. This is the way of Christ. So what's the next one? Patience. Oh, my God. We just get here with all the whammies. Like, who wants to do all these things, right? <laughs> God is telling us, for everything that you thought was of value, I'm actually the opposite guy, right? <laughs> for everything else that you thought actually puts you all the leg up, actually in the kingdom, it's when you lower yourself to the place where you understand that you're not better than someone else, where you consider their need for love and acceptance and respect, and then you're patient with them when they make a mistake. Here's where we are. We're recognizing faults. We're recognizing things that have gone wrong. We're recognizing that people have harmed others. But where is the grace and the patience? We are, we're putting people in this box and saying, because you've been guilty of this, this is all you'll ever be. If that person is open-hearted and wants to change, even if they don't, you still got to be patient. <laughs> you still have to give grace with other people's shortcomings. You don't have another option. And, and so, again, we're seeing that all of these things, if you lived in a community where everyone was practicing this, how could unity not be happening? If you lived in a community where people saw your equal value, saw your need for love, acceptance, and respect, gave you patience when you messed up, that sounds like a great place for me to kick it. I don't know about y'all, 
But I would love that place. Why? Because I need that. Everybody needs that. And and Christ is saying, like, you know, this is the way that I designed you. This is what I made you for. And this is what the body of Christ should look like. So the next thing, showing tolerance for one another in love. Another translation for this word is, is bear, meaning we hold each other up, we suffer with each other, and we're deeply connected in life even though we don't share the same experiences. This word bear means to support, not just tolerate, but that what concerns you concerns me. What grieves you grieves me. Where you don't have any support, I come under you and lift you up and stand alongside you and refuse to let you suffer alone. This is a deeper level of responsibility to each other than sometimes we're willing to take on because it comes at the expense of my comfort. It comes at the expense of some of my relationships. It comes at the expense of my status. I'm getting real now. But at the end of the day, that person's value is just the same as yours, so it's worth it. When you're loving people with the love of Christ, it's worth it for you to hold them up in your suffering, in their suffering, even if it hurts you too. And we have to get to a place where that is our hearts, right? So the next thing, verse 3, says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice the text doesn't say create the unity. It says preserve it. Meaning Christ has already provided this by his Spirit, and it's up to you to hold it, to guard it, to make sure that it doesn't change, preserving it, making it feasible for other people to be a part of your experience in life. Make it to where people realize that you actually do want to be close. (laughs) Hold on to the unity that you have had, even when things come up. Don't let anything tear you apart from someone else because you don't understand their experience or it's uncomfortable for you. I personally feel like that has been one of the biggest fears as a, as a pastor of a church about leading the charge of racial reconciliation is because sometimes when you expose things that cause people to feel uncomfortable, they, they feel like there's a license to change the relationship. Now more than ever, we don't need anybody who is already on our side going away. Now more than ever, we don't need people to cower and, and back away and go, oh my God, Javon, I'm so sorry, I love you, but I gotta go. Like, I'm sorry that hurt you, but I can't do this. And it's just like, no, you can't, but the spirit of Christ in you can. Notice that unity is a spirit. It's a spirit-empowered experience. It is not your own personal courage. It's not your own personal convictions. The spirit of God literally empowers unity. And all we are to do is make sure we guard it and support each other in every phase of life. But the Holy Spirit will give you the courage to stand for things that matter to God. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will give you the courage to stand for things and people that matter to God. This is not all on you. The Spirit of God in you empowers this. The last thing it talks about is that Not only are we preserving the unity of the Spirit, but it's in the bond of peace. 
I believe that because Christ has unified and reconciled us to himself, our role is to make sure that we remain in his love and then unity flows from that. To walk by the spirit and unity flows from that. For us to be people of peace, where we carry peace within us and we begin to bring others into relational situations where they, peace just flows, where they're not worried about making the wrong move and you cutting them off, where you're seeking to understand instead of to respond to every single thing that comes at you, where you actually value what that person is walking through and give them grace if they don't know how to handle things well. All of those things come from the Spirit of God teaching you how to love. I found this cool quote in um, some footnotes because I read like, I don't know, about eight different translations when I'm studying. <laughs> I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff, but the, uh, the quote says this, that peace is a state of reconciliation and love acts as a bond to unite believers in Christ. So when you are a person of peace, that means your desire is always reconciliation in every situation. And that love actually is the bonding agent for unity. That's that last piece that really holds it together. So we realize that many of these attributes are also the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, you know, self-control. And we realize, wow, everything in the spirit that we've already been provided in Christ is what we need to unify us. And then the Spirit of God empowers it to happen. So we've been set up to win. We've been set up to crush the game when it comes to unity. And there's nothing that we're lacking. There's nothing that we're missing. We don't need more education. We just need to learn how to lean into the Spirit. We don't need more books. We just need to learn how to value each other, have conversations, give grace to each other, respect each other, honor each other, love each other. And we have a Spirit of God that empowers us to do that. His grace allows that. Unity doesn't come from sharing the same perspective, opinions, and understanding on every issue. Say that again. Unity doesn't come from sharing the same perspective, opinions, and understanding on every issue. But it's about recognizing the Spirit of God is at work in us to will and to do, right? He is working in all of us in different ways. And I have to honor the Spirit of God in you, even if I don't do things the same as you. I have to honor the Spirit of God in you, even if I don't live the same experiences as you do. Because you are still made in His image and you still belong to Him. In your family, even if you have siblings that you don't get along with, ultimately you don't want them to suffer. Now, some of you, if you do, I will pray for you. <laughs> the Lord can do a work in your heart, praise God. But ultimately, I feel like at the end of the day, I'll say it like this. I could beat up my brother, but if somebody wanted to fight him, he had to fight me. Maybe that's a better illustration, right? So, so sometimes it's like, man, you get on my nerves, but can't nobody else do you like that? Because <laughs> when I found out somebody wanted to fight my brother, I was like, that's my job. You can't come over here. I can beat him on all day, but you can't put your hands on him. And so I feel like if the body of Christ really had that, that mentality of like, even though we get into it, even though we don't get along, we family at the end of the day, and if anyone comes for you, they got to come through me. That is the example that we need to set as the body of Christ. 
to show the unity of Christ in all of us. And it, it speaks so much more to who Jesus is than sometimes your testimony. Hey, it's the truth. I never knew that a loving, unified community could be so powerful in sharing the gospel, even more than your individual message that you want to share with somebody. Why do I say that? Because the first century church, all they did was kick it and love on each other, support each other, and it said their numbers were growing daily. Why? Because we have this ability to show people what they've always wanted and bring them into what they really need. And if we would model that for the rest of the world, it would be changed on a dime because everyone's looking for love, acceptance, respect. And when a community provides that unconditionally and consistently, we now look like nothing the world has ever seen. So they come in to know who Christ is because they realize the reason why you act that way is because of him. How is it that y'all are so diverse and y'all love each other and y'all celebrate each other and you don't argue and you can go places together and you can support each other when the other one's down and y'all don't even know each other? How do you have this deep of a bond when you're not even family? And when they see that there's a place where they could be a part of and experience the same thing, everything else in the world that wanted them, it don't even matter because it's, it's in this. It's in these experiences that we really find our true substance and the love that we've been looking for. So not only is unity just good for us in life, but it is the greatest way to reveal Christ. And I'm telling you, this is the time to model it for the rest of the world. They have a laser focus on the church right now. For a long time, they've had excuses not to come in the doors because we've been looking the same. But when we actually look like this, there'll be no reason for them not to come. Because this is what they want. And we know it because we've experienced it. Once you experience the love of Christ, ain't nothing else out there, period. So when we model this in our community, we can change the world. Last thing. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I think this sums up everything that I just said, and I could have just read this and we could have went home. But I like to talk, so... <laughs> Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul likes to use them same words, you see. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. But beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. If I had to sum up the way that we change the world, it's right there. Everything in that text shows us the heart and the character of God that we exhibit to one another, that we dwell richly in the word, that we fellowship, that we worship God together, that we're thankful together, that we honor God together. That is when things change.
in closing. I think that we have this unique opportunity as believers in Christ to lead the way for unity. Not the kind that just works for a while when everybody's focused on it, but for life in eternity. Then God's given us the empowerment and the blueprint so that the world will ultimately know Christ. Our nation cannot achieve unity without the Lord. And we can only pray and believe that those who desire to see a nation unified will turn to Christ because he really is the only way. The only way to experience the love and the compassion and the grace that we all desperately want, but we don't know it until we meet him. And now more than ever, the world is paying attention so closely. They're desperate. They're broken. You see those riots in the street. Those are hurting people that have no hope. I know we like to judge and condemn people's actions. But as believers, we should see that if it takes that to get somebody's attention, you've probably been hurt a long time. And by no means am I justifying what they've done, but I'm asking for the church to look beyond their actions to see the pain, to know that we should be wrapping our arms around these communities of people who are hurting and standing next to them and bearing their burdens because they need to know the love of Jesus. They need to see his heart really revealed so that he can begin the inner work of healing from the inside out. Because we know that the heart is ultimately what's troubled and grieved in this situation. It's not just an external circumstance. The world is looking for a savior. The world is looking for someone to love them unconditionally. And we know him. His name is Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.